Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Everybody, it is Ryan Nemhauser, and uh, Hawk Blogger crew is back for I think the 47th episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, we have uh, a skeleton crew. We thought we we're gonna have a full crew. We've had some tough podcast luck. Um, we've got uh, Nathan. Want to send a shout out to Nathan uh, Ernst, who was excited, as excited as Nathan ever gets, uh, to join tonight, but. He's at, he's uh, taking care of his wife and they're expecting their uh, their latest not quite yet but uh, had to tend to her tonight so we, we send our best to him and to her and the, the whole Ernst family um, but he's not the only one dealing with you know medical challenges we've got uh, Evan Hill nipples and all um, is on the on the show we want to welcome you back Evan I know it's been tough sledding for you recently. Yeah, it was a strategic delay. I mean, <clears throat> I'm very sick, so I'm trying to get over it, and I'm back, thankfully. How did that? How did that go for you nationally? Blowing up um, about you know, n- n- you know, uh, tattooing Rashad Penny's face on your chest and his eyes on your nipples. Like, yeah. how did that go for you? Yeah, that's a great question, and I actually haven't even answered that publicly since it happened because I wasn't on the podcast last week. But basically what happened is day of, I was like, all right, I'm not doing a permanent tattoo. I'll do a temporary tattoo. And then the media requests started coming in like Sunday <laughs> night. Like, oh, yeah. I'll give you a few. Yahoo News, uh, Seattle Times wanted to do articles. You know, Q13 Fox wanted to get me on. And I started re- reevaluating my decision and my life and shamefully lurking back into the shadows and listening to the wise counsel of my soon-to-be wife, uh, <laughs> and I made, I think, a smarter decision by not doing that. I am waiting to hear back from Rashad Penny about his favorite charity, and if this doesn't, if I don't get a response like in the next couple of days, I'm just going to donate one dollar for every yard that he got. I think it was like 108 yards. I know it's not a million bucks, but I'd like to come through somehow because I mean, I did, I did make a promise. So, <laughs> dude. Well, we love you for it, and uh, we expect you to have more empty promises in the future because that is that is part of the brand. So, um, uh, <laughs> also with us is uh, Jeff Simmons. Uh, welcome, dude. Hopefully, your internet's going to hold up today. There's no snow in Toronto tonight, so we should be okay. 
Nice, nice. So far, so good. This is already a better start than we had last time. So, so good on you for that. Um, guys, uh, we usually wait till Tuesday or Wednesday, sometimes Thursday for these things, but we had to meet tonight. Like it was hard not to have this show last night. Um, uh, tell me, let's, let's start with, uh, you, Evan, like, what were your reactions to that win over the Panthers yesterday? It's just a pure high. It's not, it, it's, I, I was telling Brian on this pre podcast off the air in terms of last season and this season so far, it was the most satisfying win by far for me. Um, the only game I think that comes close and Ryan, Brian mentioned it was the Eagles game in primetime Sunday night football last year, but this game felt good. Um, it felt really good to win. I know there's a lot of controversy over Cam about whether he's a likable figure or not. I'm a strong hater. I think this podcast is a strong proponent of Cam Newton hating, hateism, whatever you want to call it. Um, he's a really fun person to beat. He's a sore loser. And, it, it oh God, it just felt so good to pretty much end the playoff Packer chances and then the Panthers the week after. I'm still on a high. We're running the table. This is happening. Russell Wilson is going to drag this team to the playoffs, and who knows where it goes. Oh, God. Well, we're going to get into that whole mess a little bit later. Um, Jeff, you know, uh, what, what was your thoughts watching that game late last yesterday? Um, I couldn't believe they pulled it out. I All game, every time I thought they just were about to make the move, either they would screw up or Carolina would answer back instantly and – once they missed the field goal, that's when I just knew. I knew that Seattle was about to do something great. And every time Seattle plays Carolina, it's one of these stressful back-and-forth games. And there were all those games earlier when the LOB guys were going. It was like 12-9, and there was one fumble. And once Seattle couldn't pick up any of those fumbles, I was so frustrated just watching because you knew they were so close to making that play. But, yeah. I think nailed to win a game like that. I watch every video on Twitter. I read everything. I can scroll through pages for hours. My mood is completely changed on a Monday. It's kind of sad, but <laughs> just the way they won was so improbable and so much fun and just so unexpected based on how the game kept going. It's just so much fun that they were able to pull it out. Can we just talk about who called 10-6 at the beginning of the season? <laughs> You're reading the chat, aren't you? Can we just talk about that? Can we just talk about that for a second? Well, me and, me and Brian's at nine. Did you say ten? <laughs> hey, Nathan's at seven. Yeah, Nathan's dumb. Yeah, I think it's. I think. <laughs> Wait, say that again. Nathan's dumb. <laughs> Good. I just want to make sure we can get a gift of that. So, um, yeah. I think that uh, you should be feeling pretty good. So, so you're feeling right now that they're going to win 10 or you feel like they're going to win 11. You so if they run the table, Oh, they win 11. Ooh. So maybe I could, maybe I could be wrong in a good way. Yeah. Or what are you expecting right now? It There's a like, can we talk about the chiefs game for a second? Because that, that game is kind of like the whole pivot point here. I think they can beat the Vikings at home. Then I could obviously I think they could beat the Cardinals and Niners. Um, but is there any chance the Chiefs rest their starters? Do you guys know how that breaks down? I, I saw some details on it, but I, I think that the Chiefs game is going to be in week 16, right? Week 16. So uh, the likelihood that any team rests starters two weeks ahead of the playoffs is, is super low. 
And honestly, I just think it's the wrong question at this point. Like that game's that game's pretty meaningless, um, depending on how the, the season plays out. I mean, the Seahawks win their games against the 49ers and against the Cardinals. They've got over an 80% chance of making the playoffs. And then it's really just a matter of, you know, beating the Vikings or beating the Chiefs. So, you know, I think the Chiefs, I think both those games are winnable. I, you know, even before this Panthers game, I felt like both those games were winnable. They're both at home, um, you know, and, and yes, the Chiefs are amazing and they're going to do incredibly terrible things to the Seahawks defense. Uh, but I also think the Seahawks offense has a lot of what's needed to to do what they did to the Rams, but do it to the Chiefs. And uh, who's what's who's to say that it won't turn out differently? And that and that could be the real point of that game. That real pivotal factor is the Chiefs' defense, because if the Seahawks could even get maybe one to two stops on the Chiefs at home, one or two play drive difference, if the Seahawks continue to score, that could be a that could be you know the point, the whole main factor of the game. Well, let's bring it back for a second. I want to spend a little bit of time on, like, fuck Cam Newton. Like, you guys talk about Tom Cable, but Cam Newton, that is a hateable person. Like, he is so douchey. Like, someone called him a douche canoe on my thread, and I feel like I added that to my my phraseology. So, like, I, I, hate, I hate him to his, like, gum that he chews. I hate... His, like every time he throws the football, his throwing motion makes my skin crawl. Like it's arrogant. Like even the way he throws the football is arrogant. He like called out a teammate. Like when there was a timeout they had to burn, he's like, that's on you, Trey. Like he's just like horrible. What, what do you hate most about Cam Newton? Jeff, you want to start? Well, it's funny you say that. Last week I was going to say the, pretty much the exact same thing Brian just said about Aaron Rodgers. I hate Aaron Rodgers. Really? Yeah, I can't stand him. He drives me nuts. So I'm glad to see that passion of you because I was planning to say that last week before my internet died. But yeah, Cam, Cam drives me crazy. It's, it's that smug look about him. I don't know. It's the calling up the teammate jumped off the page to me. To me, like imagine Russell doing that. I know. I had a bunch of people saying. Oh, but that's that's what a uh, that's what a leader does. You know, I wish Russell did that more often. People were saying that. I'm like, you're not a leader if that's what you think leaders. What leaders? Uh, you you think leaders throw their staff under the bus? Some do, but they're not good ones. Not good leaders. Yeah. I have one word to describe Cam Newton as a person. Well, no, as a not as a person, a player personality asshole there is nobody who is more annoying in the nfl except for maybe big ben and aaron Rodgers. trying to think of any others that annoys me more cam newton is the worst leader ever he the way he celebrates when he gets a first down is like if he had celebrated after he won the super bowl but he does it after like every single first down it's so annoying it's so obnoxious and you know what if i hear I have to go on a tangent. If somebody, when somebody says they don't like Cam Newton, if the first response you say is it's because of his skin color, you are wrong. You are wrong. I hate Cam Newton. But do you know who my second favorite quarterback in the NFL is? Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is a stud. I love Deshaun Watson. Cam is annoying as hell. 
you there's no way you you can convince me in this world that Cam is an enjoyable player to watch. If you're a Panther fan, I'm sorry for you. I'm disgusted for you. I feel sad that you have to watch him on every given Sunday. It's, he, it's is, he is such a me player. Everything he does is about drawing attention to himself and figuring out how he can be the center. I, he just drives me crazy. Um, I, I can't have as much of a problem with Aaron Rodgers because anyone who dates Olivia Munn is a little bit higher up in my my estimation. But that's, that's fair, fair. I don't know. Something about him drives me crazy. You're not alone. You're not alone. What we don't know about this podcast, Jeff, that needs to be revealed right now, is Brian is actually a Packers fan. Has, and I'll tell you why. He has Packers gear in his closet. I, do you see? Do you see what I'm talking about? Oh, no. I don't know what you're talking about, dude. Do you see what I'm talking about? Nobody's talking about this. <laughs> He's a Jimmy Graham guy, I guess. Come on, dude. If you go to Lambeau and you don't come away with a cheese head, I think you're doing it wrong. Do you have a Jimmy Graham Packer jersey? Hell no. I don't have a Jimmy Graham anything jersey, nor will I ever. This I actually, like, my, my son and I spent a few minutes yesterday, and I think we spent a few minutes almost every game saying, God, isn't it awesome that we don't have Jimmy Graham on this team? Like, how little would he fit in with what the Seahawks are doing? He's like a, a square peg in a round hole. Like, he... He was like the antithesis of what the Seahawks are trying to be. And it's just so nice not to have him around anymore. And, you and know it's what? a mentality thing, too. Totally. And you know what? That kind of jumps into my point about watching the Seahawks right now. They're the most fun, like, stress-free. Not stress-free. Every game's insane. But, like, they're just so much fun to watch. There's not these questions like, why aren't they getting the ball to Jimmy? Why isn't Russell getting the ball to this guy? They're just getting the most out of kind of a scrappy team, and they're in every game, and just every game where Jimmy wouldn't be used in the red zone that whole 2015 season, 2016. What's wrong with Jimmy? Maybe Jimmy was the problem. And every yeah. team that yeah. Jimmy, every team that Jimmy goes to somehow gets soft. It's amazing, right? The Saints after Jimmy left got tough. The Seahawks after Jimmy left got tough. The Packers are soft. Thank you. Well, we, 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 we've digressed here on the Jimmy stuff, and I apologize for that. But but uh, I apologize for Evan taking us there. But um, talk a little bit more about the game. Um, you know, uh, where does this rank for you guys in regular season victories in the Pete Carroll era? Um, you know, I'll give you guys a couple seconds to kind of think about that. Um, you know, some of the games that come to mind for me at Houston 2013. That's that, above this for me. That, 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 that ranks like What did you say? I felt very similar in a game like they had no business winning and just found a way. Yeah, the, the Houston one, like, that was shot out of a cannon where they were getting destroyed at halftime. That wasn't close. And then they turned it around and they tied it. And then, they, you know, the, the turnover is very, like, that part was pretty dramatic. Um, I think the, the game against, you mentioned Deshaun Watson, the game at home against... Houston, um, that shootout, that was up there. I think the game against Pittsburgh at home uh, in 2015 is up there for me. Um, but this is like, I mean, what about you guys? Are there other regular season games? Uh, the the win at New England. That was mine. That was mine. I'll tell There's you. a couple that jumped to mine. There was that game? Yeah. 2012 Packers at home. Mm. <laughs> That's a touchy one. 
You would rate that above this game? I would not. Oh, no. oh uh, it's like neck and neck. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I got a couple. The 2012 New England game where Russell threw that bomb to Sammy uh, Rice. That's where you knew, like, this kid's got slung. Yeah, that's a good one. That was fun. Um, what's another one? Um, 2014 at Arizona where Marshawn ran over them and that Bruce Arians red face. That was a that was a great one. The at New England game. I remember it was on a short week. They had to go across the country. They played Monday night football. No, they were injured, like and then they just stomped them. What about what about at San Francisco on Thanksgiving? Yeah, that's that was my next That was kind of a blowout though. So I don't know, like it was really satisfying, but this is a it's like the end of the year. This is a better game. Um any of the two thousand twelve like two thousand twelve game when they blew out the 49ers? The Sunday night one late in the year. That was pretty good. You gonna say something, Evan? <sighs> I keep going back to that Packers game, man. <laughs> 2012 Packers with Golden Tate caught it. He caught it over the quarterback while Brian was crying in the stands. <laughs> that was like, oh, we're good. Russell Wilson's good. We're gonna be good. And F the Packers. So it was a that that was a really satisfying. Yeah, yeah. It's it's I mean, like I think one of the things that's fun is this game just I don't know if you guys saw what I was writing this morning because I know it was hard for people to get on there at the server. But uh the amount of things, unlikely things that had to happen for this game to, to end up a victory. I mean, the amount of as bad as the Seahawks defense was for them to be able to have the stops they did in the red zone, I mean, it's kind of just crazy for them to for the Packers, or not Packers, now you got to be talking about the Packers, for the Panthers to have decided to pass the ball on second down and for the Seahawks to actually get pass pressure on that play and force Newton to throw it out of bounds so they had another timeout. Like, they didn't have a sack or a quarterback hit all day. And they managed to get pressure on that play. And Newton had to, you know, kept a timeout for the Seahawks. The fact that Trey Flowers made that tackle, the fact that they made that. I mean, what was your favorite play The You've got the fourth down touchdown. You've got the Tyler Lockett play. You've got, I mean, what was your favorite play in that game? Trey Flowers tackle on third down. I don't think, I don't think the Seahawks get the ball back if he misses that tackle. I think, I think they convert. I think they possibly score a touchdown. Uh, Seahawks have no, actually they may have already had no timeouts left, but they could have ended the game with another first down conversion probably um, just by, you know, kicking a field goal or or whatever. So I think it was Trey Flowers who came up clutch. How about you, Jeff? Um, what about the McDougal pick in the end zone? At that point, the game was really just getting out of hand at that point, and it was really trending all Carolina. And if I don't think if they don't make that play, obviously Evans play probably won the game. But if McDougal doesn't tip the ball in the air to catch it, I don't think there's ever even a game. So – Question for you. From a pure talent perspective, is there a better defensive play the Seahawks have made in 2018 than Bradley McDougal's interception? Maybe like Frank Clark throwing over those offensive tackles in London, but those guys are terrible. So, Wait, what was your question? Was there a better defensive play by the Seahawks in 2018 exclusively in regards to talent? Not the situation, but like the talent and the execution. Well, I thought Earl had some pretty good plays early on. 
um, you know, that would, that would qualify. Um, yeah, I mean, it was not, good. Not I, many. Nah, not, not a lot. Um, Bobby's had some nice plays for sure, but, um, yeah, it certainly wasn't coming from the other linebackers. Uh, the linebacker core is, is, <laughs> is in trouble. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta touch on this. Yeah, yeah, but, um, uh, we generally talk, we save what we were wrong about for the end in most cases, but let's talk about it in the case of this game. What were you guys wrong about, um, about this particular game? Evan, let's start with you. Oh no, I'm going to pass it to Jeff. I'm not wrong very often, so I have to think. <laughs> While um, you're thinking, Jeff, I will tell you my favorite play okay. absolutely was the, uh, fourth and three to David Moore. Uh, I think that was, well, I will, I will, I will double dip. I'm going to say that I was wrong about in the air. I literally said that's a low percentage throw. Like it still was as it was in the air. I'm like fourth and three. You're throwing to a covered receiver, 35 yards downfield. And then it was friggin' pandemonium. How did they not call PI there? I don't think it was PI really. I mean, it was that like it was, hand locked on. Him. Well, what was happening is David Moore was actually holding off. Oh, okay. Uh, elder to so it had space and then elder eventually grabbed his hand so i don't know personally i don't think the shaquille griffin play was pass interference like so like, yeah you know i i'm a little bit more uh giving on those plays but at least i'm consistent okay so the question was what would you get wrong about this game i was wrong about how quickly seattle was willing to switch to a passing game once the running game wasn't working and usually Seattle bangs their head against the wall too long. And they made that adjustment that Carolina did a great job against the run. Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis and Julius Peppers had fantastic games. And usually when the run game's not working, they keep banging their heads against, especially this year. Once they kind of made that flip, to, they knew they were going to have to throw to win. I was surprised they did that. I thought they were going to have to run. This is a tough one. I was wrong about Shaq Griffin. Like, really, really wrong. You know, starting off at the beginning of the year, I was like, okay, he's struggling a little bit. He'll, he'll bounce back. He'll be okay. Um, had some inconsistencies, but has felt like he's getting burned. Maybe not burned, but lost more and more. And we constantly are yelling his name every game. Feels like, you know, he's consistently a few yards in separation from his receivers. And, man, that DPI was bad. I completely disagree with you, Brian. He did not get his head around he was not playing the ball he was playing the receiver it's an easy call if he doesn't get his head around and he doesn't play the ball it's an automatic call every single time that was really disappointing to me to see i think that was maybe a second or third down i don't remember i don't think it was a first down but to see that in a key critical moment god i'm just really unimpressed and kind of disappointed with his with his second year low maybe this is you know, temporary, maybe he gets to get back in gear, but you kind of have to wonder how much Sherman's absence impacts him. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe I'm breaching, though. <laughs> yeah, I seem to remember uh, talking about Shaquille Griffin regressing and uh, someone on this actually very podcast losing their shit. I was very wrong. Yeah. I was very wrong. I love this. I love this segment for that, that reason. Um, so what I was wrong about was um, – was very similar to what Jeff was, and it probably doesn't make for a great podcasting, but it's the truth. I, 
my biggest question, because I actually got a lot right. I'm going to be a Nathan on this one. I got a lot right about this game, uh, what the keys were going to be, how things were going to play out, um, you know. And what I was wrong about was I really didn't believe that Schottenheimer was going to be able to recognize that this was a really bad pass defense and a pretty, like the best rush defense they've played since Dallas. And that he was just going to, you know, be stubborn and run his head into the wall and do it, you know, over and over again. And then the defense was not going to be able to stop the offense of Carolina enough to win. And Schottenheimer does credit. They adjusted. Like I really, you know, I, I'm not like a big Schottenheimer booster at this point, but I absolutely give him credit for doing what should have been an obvious decision. Um, but something that he hasn't shown the capability to do before this game. So I thought that was, I thought that was big, and I was definitely wrong about it um, going in. So we got to spend a little bit of time because, uh, you know, I know Evan's got a very early morning, and we only have him until probably 9 o'clock tonight. But um, Seahawks are now 6-5, and five, guys. You know, what What are your expectations, you know, going forward? We talked on this about this a little bit. Um, Evan, you know, you start talking about 10-6. and six. What do you expect from them right now? Talk about win total and talk about, you know, if they get into the playoffs, what you expect there. 10 and six is most likely. Uh, if they beat the Chiefs at home, that's super awesome. Uh, one game that I'm a little worried about, people can call me crazy, might be a trap game at San Francisco. Just, just be careful. Don't go into that game assuming you've won. I don't think they will, but if they do, I think you could run into problems. Don't underestimate any competition especially the cardinals please don't do that um if they enter the playoffs they're a wild card team because the rams you know obviously are going to win the division so they could be stacked up against either the cowboys or or the skins right now those are the two most likely teams is what i've seen in the playoff predictors and i feel really comfortable against both of those teams i absolutely think we could beat the beat the cowboys again in a dome, especially zero concern about that for me. I think that game is a chalk it up as a win. Um, the skins, uh, they have Colt McCoy, right? Alex Smith is out. I don't, I don't see Russell Wilson versus Colt McCoy, you know, that ending negatively for Seahawks fans. So, you know, I, if they get to the playoffs, I think, I think the goal is get to the playoffs this year. If you get to the playoffs this year, that's a really successful result. I don't think anybody expects them to win playoffs playoff games or expected them to entering the season how about you jeff uh, a couple things uh, a couple things that changed my mind a couple weeks ago i think it was after the detroit game i said they were one pass rusher away from being like a super bowl contender i knew it adjusted i think they're one pass rusher one safety and maybe one cornerback away <laughs> this defense is not good their talent level is bad one of the ways a lot of nfl gms will compare their talent is to kind of compare position by position versus their division. So if you look at the cornerbacks and the pass rushers and the linebackers, like not having KJ Wright at full capacity, that makes a huge difference in how you run this defense. So you might also need a linebacker because Mingo in space is a problem. They don't have Michael Kendricks back to the Vikings game. They have one pass rusher. Rasheem Green hasn't shown up all year. Deion Jordan's been banged up. But in terms of the record, I think 10-6 is about right. I think that's this team has played more like an eight and three team than a six and five team. All year they're competing with the Rams. They've been they were in that game a little bit with the Chargers. 
They could have won that Bears game. They could have won that Broncos game if they didn't have the dumbest game plans in those two games. But this is my favorite Seahawks team in quite a while, honestly. They're not as good as those past teams, and it's really too bad you couldn't line up this O-line with those elite defenses because that would have been a hell of a team. But just the way things were the last two years, you can just see they're declining. This is just a team that's getting the most out of their talent, and they're playing head-to-head with teams I didn't think they could beat. The Rams, I went to them. Would have thought they'd be able to come close to the Panthers, Green Bay. Like the fact that they're getting this and they've, they've turned the corner and they got this identity now, even with an undermill, undermanned roster, it's just so much fun for me to watch this team. They're, they're definitely my favorite Seahawks team probably since the Super Bowl year. And you know what? It's because because of it's because of Russell Wilson. Oh God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's go there. I, I'm gonna let's go there. So so who do you give? Who gets the most? credit for the Seahawks success so far this season. Mike Solari. Russell Wilson won. Mike Solari 1.01 right next to him. Okay. And who hired Mike Solari? Who hired Tom Cable? How many Super Bowls have the Seahawks won? How many Super Bowls should the Seahawks have won without Tom Cable? Well, so let, let, let's go with how many how many Super Bowls have the Seahawks actually played in as a franchise? That's an answerable question. Three. Three. And how many of those Super Bowls was Tom Cable the coach for, the offensive line coach for? Two. So two out of the three Super Bowls the Seahawks have played, Tom Cable was the, the, the offensive line coach. And you're saying that hiring him makes Pete Carroll flawed? Mm, yes yes i mean maybe hiring him is okay but keeping him around for as long as he did is flawed yes when they went to two straight super bowls and won one of them you're blaming that's or hold up you're giving tom cable the credit for those two super bowls didn't say that you're you're saying that that he should have fired him right that's correlation not causation that's like saying because I pooped 15 times a week in 2014 and 2015, the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl. That it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't cause each other. You're, you're answering the wrong question. You're answering a different question. I'm not saying that the reason they went to the Super Bowl is Tom Cable, but he certainly wasn't keeping them from getting there. Oh yeah. And you're was. saying you're you're saying that Tom Cable should have been fired, right? Yes. You're saying, that, you're saying so. You're saying that after going to two straight Super Bowls, they should have fired Tom Cable. I would have to go and look exactly where his offensive lines were ranking, but from what I remember off the top of my head, his passing, his pass protection numbers have been consistently god awful. Yep. And what you expect in an offensive line coach is somebody who can provide both. No, but let's get specific, Evan. If you're if you're really going to take Pete to task here, yeah. When when should he have fired Tom Cable? And for and, 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 like uh, with what cause? I'll give you my answer. That's actually a really good question. In I would have fired Tom Cable after the 2016 season. No, that was my answer. That's when you can see it was gone. I have no problem saying that. Absolutely. They should have been gone. Was that after the Jermaine Ifedi pick? Yes. 2015 started really bad after they traded under, but they solved it in the second half of the year. So it would have been a weird firing. Like you said, Brian, it kind of started with the Jimmy Graham issues, though. Well, like, so don't change the subject, though, dude. So where would you have fired Tom Cable? 
Split decision between 2015 and 2016. Okay. So uh, he's a couple years late. So you're saying you're saying if they had fired Tom Cable at that point, that the Seahawks would have gone back to the Super Bowl in 2016 or 2017? 2016 was the year Russell Wilson went lights out. Is that right? Yeah, he um, got hurt that year. He got hurt the first game. But he he had that like eight game stretch where it was insane. No, that was 2015. That was 2015. The last eight games of 2015. I I don't you know it gives me no pleasure maybe a little bit of pleasure to to like burst your bubble here but like Pete Carroll was loyal loyal to a fault he should have as far as I'm concerned he should have fired Daryl Bevel after the Super Bowl I I came out I wrote that the next day I believe that to this day I think it was the wrong thing it would have been the, it would it was the wrong thing for the locker room for them to keep him around he's loyal to a fault he jumped in for, he took he took daggers and then guess what. He hired Mike Solari, and I think every single person that's a Seahawks fan believes that's been one of the biggest positive impacts to this team. And let's talk about Russell Wilson. Is Russell Wilson having his best year, second best year? Where would you rank Russell Wilson's year so far statistically? You can't have it both ways. No. Is he playing well or is he not? No, he is playing well. He's playing really well. I just don't know to, whether to name it like first or second. Probably second. Yeah, 2015, I feel like he was. His first eight games level. were horrible. Yeah. Yeah, last eight games, though, I mean, 24 TDs and one interception yeah. is like ridiculous. Yeah. Right? Can't eat but it's not, I mean, for the whole season, you could maybe this is his most. Other than the first two games, his most consistent season is definitely his higher. He's already at his highest passer rating. If he, this holds up, he's going to have his most touchdown passes. If this holds up, yeah, like he's having his best red zone season. I think he's having his best third down season. I haven't looked back recently, but let me put it this way: I have an answer to your first question, Brian. If Mike Solari is the offensive line coach last year, the Seahawks make a deep playoff run. A deep That's not a Super Bowl, dude. Come on. I mean, potential Super Bowl. You can't guarantee a Super Bowl. Okay, they're su- I mean, they're Super Bowl contenders. Yeah. Yes. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Evan, I want you to make your original point on Pete Carroll, though. I think we've gone away from that. My Well, I guess my original point was uh, if, you, if you list, like, the top three, four, maybe he comes in at five. If you listen, list in, like, the top three to four reasons that the Seahawks won yesterday, I'm not sure Pete Carroll is – on that top four list. I want to clarify early, Brian, earlier, Brian, I take away my words. The Seahawks are winning despite Pete Carroll. I think that was an exaggeration. And I think that's untrue. However, I'm not sure he's a large factor towards their current success. In what way? Like, yeah, I likely disagree. How do you get to that? I mean, do you really think like he, like, okay. So Pete Carroll's known as a defensive mastermind. Uh, we talk all the time about how this defense has a ton of underrated talent in it. Where's, where's, where's Pete Carroll doing his job, right? I don't think that they have underrated talent. I feel like this is, I think this is the least talented Seahawks defense since 2010. So you're saying Pete Carroll's only good with legit talent then? So is everyone. Dude, he's got. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let's Fangio. 
Go ahead. Vic Fangio is Brian. Brian, you probably think he's the best defensive coordinator in the NFL. He's damn good, yeah. When Vic Fangio took the Bears job, they were a terrible defense. Now Vic Fangio has Khalil Mack, Roquan Smith, Akeem Hicks. They're the top defense. In the NFL, you need blue-chip defensive players to be a good defense. The Seahawks have one, maybe two, and a bunch of average players. I don't think there's any coach in America that can make this a good defense. I really well, don't. Hold on. Hold on. I, I'm being very clear here. The Seahawks defensive line, one of the ten worst in the NFL from a talent perspective. The yeah, Seahawks linebackers. The Seahawks linebackers are probably one of the five worst, and that's with Bobby Wagner, as good as he is. The Seahawks linebackers are probably one of the five worst linebacker crew from a talent perspective. The Seahawks cornerbacks, I would say they're in the middle. They're probably in the middle of the pack. They're definitely not top-notch. I, would I, I wouldn't put them in the middle. The lower third. And then safeties, dude, they are bot like bottom five to ten um, in safety talent. And yet, with that combined defensive talent, which I think is like bottom third of the NFL, they rank eighth in points allowed per game this year. They rank seventh in third down percentage for opponents. They rank, you know, 16th for yards per play, uh, yards per game. They're not good. They're not good. They're bad. But he's finding a way to make something out of them. And part of the way that he makes something out of that defense is he has an identity on offense. They run the goddamn ball. And I don't like this whole thing of like, let's get Russell a volume passing offense. Dude, this team would have three wins. Oh, oh, stop it. Uh, they would. Dude, we were all on this very podcast after week two when this team was 0-2. And guess what? Russell Wilson was passing 60% of the time in neutral script situations, right? Yeah. So, like, they've flipped it to where now they're running 60% of the time in those situations. So you can't tell me. No, I hold up. I, I'm not really disagreeing with you. I completely agree that I am thankful they committed to an identity. I'm glad they did. And I, that's a good thing. I'd rather them not be half and half. But I think this bleeds into the conversation of Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll both have their contract years next year. Russell currently takes up 12 to 13% of the team's cap. Quarterback salaries have continued to expand. We're looking at $35 million a year for Russell Wilson, which is between 18 and 19% of the team's cap. That's a 5 to 6% jump. Every single question, every, every single year, I ask myself this question. Is the team in the best position to win a Super Bowl? And if they aren't, what do they need to do differently and what do they need to change? I do not believe when you answer that question, paying Pete Carroll, extending Pete Carroll, and extending Russell Wilson to a $35 million contract at the same time, makes any sense whatsoever. I will tell you right now, the Seahawks, they might win a Super Bowl this year or next year, but when they extend Russell Wilson and he's making 18, 19% of the cap, and if Pete Carroll is extended also, the Seahawks will not win a Super Bowl if those two if those two people are around at the same time. I'm yeah, but dude, right it, is, it is a total crapshoot to say that that you're going to win a Super Bowl. like that. You can be the best team and still not win a Super Bowl. So I don't know that that's really a big take, dude. So what well, – I think Evan has a good point, but I don't think that's the point he was originally making. That's a completely different argument. I think that's very valid. 
What was my original point that I forgot about? That Pete Carroll isn't contributing to their victories. How many games can you single-handedly say Pete Carroll's contributed to any victory? They're good because they had elite defensive talent and they had Russell Wilson. Pete's a great head coach, but how many games? It's an argue, It's a question you can never answer, right? It's hard to measure, too. Okay, so the four things I look at for a good head coach. One, are they getting the most out of their talent, overall talent? You can argue with Russell because you can definitely make that argument. He's not getting the most out of Russell, but you can definitely argue he is. Brian's done that many times. But in terms of the overall talent, I think he's definitely getting the most. Does the team have an identity? What is the culture of the locker room? And last year, I think that was the worst coaching year, Pete Carroll in Seattle. The culture was bad. He had guys too long. Tom Cable, he had no identity. They didn't know what they were. They were scrambling around. Their defense was declining. Their, the locker room was toxic. Players were calling it the Titanic. If you want to rip Pete Carroll, that's the year to rip him. This year, I have I think there's an argument. This is the best coaching job Pete's done in a while. A hundred percent. And this is coming from somebody who said after week two that he should be fired by the end of the year, that this was his last year. I, I absolutely believe that was the case. He was doing everything wrong. Everything wrong. Okay. Yeah, those were fireable games. And, and now – you know, you could play this multiple ways. Pete Carroll was the guy who actually, like, was high on Chris Carson and wanted them to take a flyer on him in the seventh round. That's a known fact. Like, John Schneider gets credit for these things, but Pete Carroll's been pretty clear. He liked Chris Carson. But then he was going ahead and not letting him play in the game, you know, because he wanted to see Rashad Penny, you know? And, and it was Pete Carroll who was, who was actually and, – and actually his sons – who were driving the desire to, to pass the ball so much in the first two games. So he was doing things that were actually hurting the team and keeping them from winning in those first two games. To some extent, I think getting out of the way is part of what's making them win. And so if that's your point, Evan, I get it. But you have to give credit. Being a leader and knowing when to step back and let your, your coaches or players step forward, that's laudable. I think that's a good thing. I don't think – and. I do want to talk about your point around this question that keeps going around of if, you know, either Pete or Russell, what the hell? Why does that have to be the, the, the question? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they're both both of their contracts end after 2019, and Russell Wilson is going to want to be paid as the top player in NFL history. Okay, so pay him. Okay, and you're, you're okay with that and continuing to play Pete Carroll ball. Continuing to go to the playoffs almost every year and being a Super Bowl contender with well, that's, not, that's not the question though. Are you going to win a Super Bowl with Pete Carroll on this team and Russell Wilson making thirty-five million dollars a year? So let me let me break down my philosophy on this for you, Evan. I th I've seen a lot of coaches come and go, and there are very very few that are capable of leading a team to a super bowl and an absolute fundamental part of being a super bowl coach is having a philosophy that you stick to and an identity that you stick to sure Pete carroll does something you also have to have something that you do better than almost anybody else okay. i would say pete carroll is essentially if not the best defensive coach in the nfl he's right up there agreed so, I have all the confidence that Pete Carroll is going to be able to go in and continue to get the most out of the defense. I absolutely believe that Pete Carroll will continue to work with John Schneider and play young players, which is another huge advantage for him as a coach that a lot of other coaches don't have, which allows talent to develop faster. 
And I have a lot of trust in Russell Wilson that he's going to be able to help the offense be as good as possible and, and, and come back. What Pete Carroll doesn't do, he doesn't, he doesn't change his philosophy to try to match the, the new age, you know, trends going on with the offense. I am abs I absolutely believe that the Seahawks can win and win a Super Bowl again if they go with a strong defense, a tough running game mentality, and Russell Wilson as quarterback. So I don't feel the need to replace Russell. The only reason I feel a reason to replace Pete is if he's like ready to retire, you know? And and, and honestly, the biggest criticism I have for Pete is he's not grooming his replacement. Like if they've gotten Gus Bradley instead of Ken Norton or someone else to be the defensive coordinator, someone that could take over as head coach, I feel better. It's definitely not Brian Schottenheimer. Actually, I already bought a Mike Solari head coach replacement. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think there are criticisms of Pete that are very fair. His game management is are not good. The over conservative nature. I didn't even love that they went for the field goal at the end by kneeling. But I think so much more of it, and, and I think people look at the in-game management, and that's the only way to judge a coach. And I don't think a lot of people understand the role of a head coach. The head coach, as Brian was saying, a lot of the job is just simply delegating. Yeah, there's a lot of in-game decision-making, but how do you, like, just the way to controlling the locker room, um, giving your coordinators leeway to do things, uh, you're more like a CEO. A lot of the mistakes a lot of fans make, and even NFL teams make this, a lot of people just assume because you're a great play caller, either offensively or defensively, you're going to be a great head coach. But the jobs are so different. A lot of people can – like Wade Phillips is a great example. That guy's been a great defensive coach for, what, 35 years? Yeah. He couldn't yeah. cut it. He couldn't do it. North Turner, you saw what he did to Seattle yesterday. He beat the crap out of Pete Carroll. But the guy was a crap head coach. He wasn't the CEO type. Yeah, there are guys I would much rather than Pete with Russell. I'd rather Sean McVay. I'd rather probably Matt Nagy right now. I'd probably rather Andy Reid. But go through the list. There's a, Sean Payton would be a great guy. Well, go that, through that, the list, man. That's my question for you, Evan. So, so which coaches that you know of right now would you would have would if the Seahawks had that coach right now, the Seahawks would have more wins than they do right now. Which coaches come to mind? It'd be literally the exact top to four or five coaches that maybe even less three that Jeff just mentioned. Okay, which which, which ones? I'm sorry, I only heard. Sean McVay. I actually would add um, the Eagles quarterback coach, uh, Filippo. Yeah, I think he was phenomenal. I think he would be a brilliant head coach. Um, I think uh, Frank Wright would, would be amazing. Um, I think Andy Reid would be good. That's four. But you don't necessarily need to poach somebody else. It's what you said. It's about finding young, innovative, offensive minds for the future of the NFL. That's part of, that's this organization's job. But do you know how you know how rare that is? I like, know. do you know how many franchises go off and look for the young talent and they end up with what was the guy that was in the in Oakland that went look at the, Doug Peterson. No, I'm talk talking about the guy. Uh, man, what the hell? The guy with the wife. <laughs> Don Gruden? Nope, nope. It was after him. Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin's like the poster boy for that, right? He was the the offensive mastermind. It was just a disaster. Like, 
you have to find the right, like you're talking about, if not a needle in a haystack, you're talking about very rare. And then you're talking about, okay, so this guy's going to come in and he's going to be an offensive guru. Who's running the defense? Like you're, you're going to run guarantee you what's going to happen, Evan, is you're going to end up with, oh my God, the offense is so great. If we could just bring in a great defensive coach. I have, oh, a, I have a great defensive coach in mind. PC to DC, baby. Hashtag PC to DC. Start the campaign right now. Do you want to explain yourself? Pete Carroll to defensive coordinator. I thought that's what you were saying. PC to DC. Uh, okay, here's a question for you. How good do you think Anthony Lynn is as a head coach? Not very. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're what? Eight and three with the one of the best offenses in the NFL. So, but that's kind that's, of my point too. Like, I'm not sure you need an amazing like head coach. You just need somebody who's going to build an identity around Russell Wilson because the most important part on your team is not the head coach. It's your franchise quarterback who is one in a million. If you're going to pay him $35 million, build around him. You know, it's like they don't have to yet. It's bullshit. Like, it's like bullshit. So you know what it's like? It's bullshit. like Chris Carson. It's paying Chris Carson $45 million a year and it's running him three times a game. Tom Brady is nothing without Bill Belichick. Oh, oh, oh. There oh, is God. no way that Tom Brady has anywhere near the number of rings he has right now without Bill Belichick. Tom Brady might have one or two less rings without Bill Belichick. He still has multiple. Tom Brady wouldn't might not even have a job without Bill. Oh. He was a sixth round pick, dude. So you are you are like <laughs> you are you are part of the quarterback crew. That's fine. Like it's a cult. And and I I love I love what Russell brings to the table. I'm thrilled he's our quarterback. He's the best quarterback in Seahawks franchise history. He's a Super Bowl-capable quarterback. He's an MVP-capable quarterback. That's awesome. He also needs to have a coach who is amazing if we want to win a Super Bowl. Tell me, tell me the last shitty coach that won with a great quarterback and did it with any regularity. That's the thing that keeps coming up. To me, that's the thing about Pete that people are underrating. Like, I, we were talking to Nathan today, and I told him I used to cover the Bills, and I was bringing up all the shitty coaches they've had. And his counter was Doug Marone went to the AFC Championship with Frank Bortles. Well, what's happened to the Jaguars this year? They're 3-8. and eight. Rex Ryan went to two AFC Championships with Shoddy and Mark Sanchez. Well, what's happened to him? The Jets have been shit for years. Pete's done this year after year after year, a couple dips, but a lot of these guys, like Adam Gase was the next great offensive mind. Uh, even Mike Zimmer, who's a great head coach, who's brought in DeFilippo. They have an offensive line that looks like Tom Cables. I mean, Evan, I mean how, do you, how do you talk about, what, do you, what are your thoughts around uh, Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy? Or was just Reed and, and, and Pey Sean Payton? I don't think Mike McCarthy is that good. I think no, he's, he's bad. He's bad. Okay. And how has that worked out for them? Oh, uh, I'll, I'll tell you. 2011, 15 and 1. 2012, 11 and 5. 2013, 8 and 7. 
2014, 12 and four, 2015 and 2016, 10 and six. And then the last two years have been bad. But like, I even skipped the first You'd be okay with that is what you're saying. You take that. I'm not taking Mike McCarthy. No. No, I'm talking about the results, dude. Look at Drew Brees and and Sean Payton. Would you take those results? Because I think the Packers have fallen way short. Way short of building around Aaron Rodgers. Sean Payton is one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. Drew Brees, I think, is in the discussion with Tom Brady for the best quarterback that's ever played. Sure. They have been horrible until they got a defense and Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Thankfully, though, we have a brilliant defensive coach who could slide right in. I think we've taken this as far as we're going to. I, I've actually, I, could, I could talk about this for a lot longer, but I know you've got yeah, this really a good topic. topic. This is this is awesome, though. Like I, I think um, your Pete Carroll, the defense, defensive coordinator idea, I think has real legs. Um, I think there's a great chance that after all these years, he's going to decide he wants to be the DC to someone else's head coach. So we'll we'll see how that goes. I I, I applaud you on your creativity. I actually don't think that will happen, honestly. It's no, really no. My, no, it's really it's really just my like fairy tale dreams. And Bill Belichick will be the special teams coach. Yeah, Bill Belichick is gonna coach Redmond High School football also. So I love it, dude. I love it. So um as we look ahead, we've got the 49ers coming into town, right? Oh, yeah. uh, and this is a classic trap game, guys. Like uh you go on the road, you win an unlikely game against Carolina, and then you come home and you play a division rival that's just losing everywhere um, and actually has a pretty decent defense um, and actually a really good run defense, better than Carolina's. Um, you know, let's talk for just a few minutes here. You know, what do you want to see happen in this game, Evan? I know you've got some specific ideas. I want to see the dominance. I want to see the dominance continue from what we saw in the Lions Raiders game. I want it. I want to see our defense show up. This is not a good offense, for the love of God. I can't even name George Kittle, um, Marquise Goodwin, quarterback, some random newbie I've never heard of in my entire life. I think he's a undrafted free agent, Nick Mullins, or maybe he got replaced. I don't know. This is a bad offense. The defense better show up today. Um, but I want to see Russell Wilson burn the absolute shit out of Richard Sherman. And I'll tell you why. Not because I hate Richard Sherman. I love Richard Sherman. But Richard Sherman is currently a San Francisco or Santa Clara 49er. And I am here to tell you that you are not allowed to root or cheer for Richard Sherman this Sunday. End of story. He is wearing a 49er jersey. You are more than happy to think wonderful thoughts about him on any other day but Sunday while he wears a 49er jersey. But he plays the Seahawks this Sunday. And actually, I don't even care if you root for him when he's not playing the Seahawks. He's playing the Seahawks, and he's a 49er. So I hope, hope Russell Wilson burns him. End of story. Why Russell Wilson? I mean, he's the quarterback. Okay, so it's, it's, not, it's not about a revenge thing because, you know, Wilson versus Sherman. or anything. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no, no dynamic like that for me. It's more just like, I want to see Sherman embarrassed a little bit. Like, I love him. But, like, let's embarrass him a little bit. How about you, uh, Jeff? If the Seahawks lose to Nick Mullins at home, I'm going to join Evan on the fire Pete Carroll theory. Oh, come on, man. I don't know. Like, that's okay. Just kidding. But (laughs) 
But this is a game where I do want to see something from the defensive line. Uh, Frank Clark is just – he's a streaky player, always has been. Last week was pretty much non-existent until the last drive of the game. Maybe Deion Jordan will do something. Maybe Rasheem Green will get a pass rush. But this is a game where I just want to see some hope on defense because they're not playing a great quarterback. The great quarterbacks, I think, are going to torch these guys all year. So this is a game similar to Oakland where I think and Detroit's where the defense could look a lot better. And I'm totally with Evan on Sherman. I want to see Tyler Lockner, David Moore just zoom by him. It's funny. So I, I'm, I'm the holdout on the Sherman stuff. I, like, I don't want Sherman to play well, but I have no, I have no ill will at all. And, and in this fact, could use him, man. I, in fact, I mean, I think the Seahawks really did wrong by him. And I think every most Seahawks fans feel the total opposite. But I think Sherman was one of the only guys in, in that building that was holding the team to the standard that they should have been help, holding themselves to. And he was the one that absolutely – he would have fired Tom Cable. If you want somebody, he would have fired him a long time ago. And he would have been run-oriented. You know, run he would not have lost the identity. Like, he was holding the team – but it wasn't his job, and he was overstepping, and I get all that. But they cut him. They bet against him and his and his Achilles, and they wouldn't match his contract after he got what was supposedly a very team-favorable deal from the 49ers. I'm glad that he is, as of now, the number one-ranked cornerback in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. I'm glad that, that things are working out for him. I'm also glad that the 49ers have fallen off the face of the earth and that they're losing like crazy, and I hope they lose again. But I will get no pleasure other than um, if Doug Baldwin and Sherm match up, that would be fun. Because the first year that they, like Sherm and Doug's rookie year, I interviewed both of them and they talked about, I asked them both, what would happen if you guys faced each other? And Doug said, I would destroy him. It wouldn't be close. He'd never stop me once. Sherman said, Oh, he wouldn't get open at all. And then he said, actually, just kidding. Doug would probably beat me a lot. So Okay. So here's an idea. You, you put Baldwin on Sherman and use him as a decoy the entire game. <laughs> and attack the other corners. Because the reason Sherman's ranked so high is because the other corners on San Francisco are so bad that teams just won't even look at Sherman. Yeah. Yeah. So I would use Baldwin as a decoy and have them fight it like hell. And maybe give Baldwin a week off after for thank him. So Evan, I know you got to run here in a minute. Um, any parting thoughts for you uh, as you head into uh, the week? We need to see dominance. We need to see something from the defense, a little bit of consistency, please. If this team's going to make a playoff run, don't underestimate this opponent. Classic Pete Carroll thing is to play down to the opponent. Please don't do this at home. Please do not embarrass us. Continue to run the table. Continue to keep our playoff hopes alive. That would be a beautiful thing. Go Hawks. Well, thanks, dude. Um, Jeff, do you want to stick around for the while? You want to wrap? Yeah, no, I'm good for a bit. All right. Um, so Evan will be a married man the next time we see him. Knock on wood, assuming everything goes well. Um, yeah, who knows? Nathan might have a kid uh, next time we see another kid. Um, I gotta pull my waiter in here. <laughs> no, any big life events you want to share with us? Uh, I have a new girlfriend. Oh, congratulations! Uh, I, will, I will not ask you to share too much more about that. 
<laughs> no, I got to keep uh, that quiet. Yeah, good, good. Um, so what, what, what am I missing here with, with Mr. Uh, Evan uh, on, on this, this uh, Pete Carroll? Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson can't coexist. Have they not coexisted up until now? And I th- I'm with you on that one. I think their viewpoint is that if you're paying a guy $35 million, which is going to limit your ability to add other players to the team, they want to see him be used in a way that Drew Brees or Goff or one of those guys is being used, ignoring the fact that Russell seems to be best and most efficient in an offense that runs like this. And I think there's just a point that if you're going to pay that guy that kind of dollars, you want you need a situation like a Jared Goff for my entire game around the quarterback. And I don't know, I don't know if Russell can operate in that. I, I would love to see him with an Andy Reid type, but that's their perspective. I don't know. I have more problem with the way Pete is being viewed right now in the Seahawks Twitter world. Cause I don't know how you come out of that game yesterday and have a problem with that coach. Yeah. I, I, I mean, here's what I, I hear people saying is like, um, Pete is, you can't, what I hear people saying is you can't pay a quarterback $35 million a year or whatever it would be to throw the ball the least amount in the NFL or, you know, 31st, 32nd, you know, whatever. I don't give two shits about how many times he throws a game. Like, I don't think he does. Is he, is he, is he playing winning championship football? Is he a guy that makes the big throws? Is he a guy that shows up in the fourth quarter when you need him? Um, those are the things I care about. And does he fit? Like, what I think a lot of people miss with, with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll is part of what got me so excited when they drafted Russell Wilson is he is one of the best play-action quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, he, he coming in, he was a – great at Wisconsin at play action and being under center even. And he's a running quarterback or he's mobile. So like there was this, all these things that were really amazing throwing on the run. Like he loves to throw the deep ball. Like he has all these things that really work well and pair well with what Pete Carroll likes, which is to run the ball and then to do play action off of that and take deep shots. Like these are all things Pete Carroll likes. So I don't think there's a lot of evidence that Russell Wilson is at his best when he's throwing the ball 35 times a game. Yeah, the problem is people are going to see the game from yesterday where, what do you throw, 31 times? And they're going to think Russell should be able to do this every single game. Sorry, there's a request for my floating helmet. Oh, my God. That's awesome, man. So, and until – I don't think we'll ever be able to – not maybe not me. I don't think anyone's going to be able to get that thought out of people pushing that narrative's head. I don't think, I think everyone's always going to be wondering how would Russell do in a McVay offense where there's design reads. And that's not how I think because I would pay Russell whatever you need to pay him. And they're going to have a ton of cap room in the next couple of years. But I think the thing people don't think about, and I bring this up a lot on Twitter, they don't have an owner. No one is going to dictate this decision more than the owner. The owner's going to be the one who decides is Pete the guy. I assume any owner's going to want Russell Wilson or any owner's going to want John Schneider. But until they have an owner, this guy, well, Paul loved Pete Carroll. Paul handpicked Pete Carroll. Paul loved Russell Wilson. And 
I think going back and forth in this hypothetical, to me, it just until they have an owner and until you kind of see this play out, how this team does once they add more defensive talent in the next couple of years, which is I'm I'm bullish about where they're going. Next year there, I think they're top ten in the NFL in cap room. Their two biggest holes are available in free agency. They have first round draft pick. If you can sign these guards back and kind of move forward with this group, I don't see why we're having this debate right now. To me, it's a, it's irrelevant. Well, I mean, the thing I, I find interesting and, and legitimate here is I, I'm not a believer in Schottenheimer. It's not that I'm I, like, no, I think he's terrible, but I'm not sure he's better than average. And if you could get a creative offensive coordinator that could – add some um, interesting elements to the passing game, I'd be all for it. As okay. long as it's being done like 20 to 25 times a game, like that's fine. Like, I think there's room for that. I think it's hard to find, but bring those guys in as, as assistants or as, you know, developmental coaches, bring them in as a quarterback's coach, whatever, um, to help develop that talent. But I don't think the philosophy doesn't have to change. And if the market value for, an elite franchise quarterback, thirty-five million. You pay it. You're not going to let him walk. And this yeah, idea that you're going to trade him. Look, you know, is too late to do that now. I, I don't think that's. I think that's. Look, I, I think that you could make the case that getting three first-round picks for Russell Wilson and having a low salary cap quarterback with a bunch of talent around is a better way to go. And that's what Jared Goff has. It, it's not that it's just him and McVay. They, they've got a lot of cap room they're spending everywhere else on that offensive line, on the defensive line, and the secondary. Mm-hmm. But I just – I think that's thread, trying to thread the needle, like trying to find another quarterback that's good enough like to, to win when it matters, finding a, a bunch of other elite players. Like I don't think there's any guarantee. So to me it seems really obvious. That you keep Russell and you – you keep moving now. If they had drafted Patrick Mahomes, like I know they wanted to, yeah, then we'd have a different conversation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, but that I just don't understand the timing. Like I come out of that game yesterday as more as fun, as excited, as improbable of a game for a team that we probably had no idea what to expect all year. And we come in, and Evans' view is that Pete Carroll's screwing the team. I, I just can't wrap my head around that. Uh, I think some of that's coming from before the game. And he, yeah, uh, it's, it's hard for me to understand. Like, it is. You know, I think it comes down to there are folks that are, are Russell-centric in their view of the Seahawks, and everything is about not what's best for the Seahawks necessarily, but what's best for Russell. And, how, and that those two things are always the same, that we whatever's doing what's best for Russell is what's is you know his rise is going to be what's best for team. I, I just don't. I don't believe that. I think that actually you could argue that Brian Schottenheimer has helped Russell, you know, have one of his best seasons um, with the way that they've been approaching it. So I, I don't get that. But let's. We've got a couple of questions coming in the chat, Jeff. Sure. Let's let's go on Jose uh, wants to ask: um, Do we trade for a cornerback or safety in the offseason? Um, I'm going to say no. I think they're they're already limited in what they can do draft-wise. They've traded their second-round pick for Dwayne Brown, which, by the way, was an incredible trade. I, 
Dwayne Brown had an amazing game yesterday. Um, they gave picks for, I think, Brett Hunley, Luani, the safety, the special teamer. So I think they only have five picks right now. So I, I just don't see where the ammo is. Yeah. So I was looking today. The free agency works out very well for Seattle. They got a ton of cap room. Safety has some guys. And corner, I think they like what I think they're gonna develop these guys more. Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I think that I'll I'll say they will trade for that just because Schneider always seems to trade, you know, in training camp for some scrub, you know, safety or or cornerback off someone else's roster, but I'm not expecting it to be a big move in the offseason. Um, Cy, and uh, I'm going with my my shortening of pronunciation here. Um, he wants to know: Do you think Russ will take a moderate pay uh, cut, a la Brady, to to keep the Seahawks winning? I'll go first. I don't. Um, Russell, you know, is he wants to be? I think he wants to be the best quarterback that ever played, and I think he wants to be paid like the best quarterback that's ever played. Um, I think he's trying to make as much money as he can, and I, I can't really blame him for it. I don't see any way that happens. Brady's Brady's such a unique situation where he's married to one of the richest women in America. I know Russell's wife is doing pretty well as well, but just just the way that Russell's agent has framed negotiations, and Russell's kind of idolized Derek Jeter, and that's kind of the guy. And A Rod is a close friend of his, and. I think Russell wants to maximize his value, the way he markets himself. Brady's so unique. And don't blame the guy. or Don't expect him to take some t- team discount. Guy's a short window to make life-changing money, and he's going to go for it. Yeah, I don't know how he started doing that, but I think it was – I think he might have been 35 or so by the time when he started doing I don't think he was doing it in his early 30s. Well, he switched wives, I think, somewhere around there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, do you think it's? I don't know if it's really his wife, but I, that definitely probably yeah. plays a, a role. So, uh, Brent asks, uh, "We need impact D lineman. Who do we get, and can we get someone still this year?" So I'll go. I'll answer the second one because at first that should be pretty easy. There's no way we're going to get an impact D lineman this year. Trade deadline's passed. Um, even Tom Johnson, who we did sign in the offseason uh, and lost, now has three and a half sacks in his past uh, two games or three games with the, the Vikings. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think they're going to get the biggest, I think, hope for impact alignment this year is that Deion Jordan actually shows up at some point um, or Jacob Martin keeps developing or something along those lines. Yeah. There's there's no option this year unless Martin or Rasheem Green or Deion Jordan jump off the page. Next year, I think there's a very, very good chance. The free agent class and the draft is loaded at pass rusher, both inside and outside, especially outside for a Leo-type guy. There's Javion Clowney, D Ford, Brandon Graham, all kinds of guys, guys who are going to hit the market too. So – Seattle got a ton of room. Pass rushers love playing in that stadium. Agents want to set their guys up where they can make more money, kind of like what Cl- Cliff Averill and Bennett did. So next year, I'd be surprised if they don't make an impact move. Um, Brent saying getting Averill was huge. Oh, wait. I think he was asking the same question again. We answered it. Um, <laughs> uh, this is a tough one. Um, SLC Seahawk wants to know Olivia Munn or Danica Patrick. Olivia Munn. 
Yeah, that's that's not that tough. He's one of my favorites. Oh man, smart and super sexy. So, um, Sai asks, um, he thinks that Pete should be coach of the year, um, especially when the national perception was Hawks will win four games max. It's a rebuild. Who else even comes close? Uh, good question. I, I I've been I'm much higher on Pete than some of the other guys on our show, but I don't think he's coach of the year. Simply because of those first two games, I think that eliminates him from the consideration. Those two games really hurt the team, and that was single-handedly on Pete. But I think guys like Frank Reich in Indianapolis, uh, Sean Payton, Matt Nagy, and even Andy Reid are better better choices than Pete would be. As good as I think Pete's done, and I think Pete has done a phenomenal coaching job with a team that most people thought was a wins max. Yeah, I would go with I would go with Andy Reid. I think he's he's made the most out of of his talent relative to some of the other uh, candidates. Um, you know, McVeigh will get consideration, and I mean, you're not going to get a huge argument with me about that. I mean, he is a ridiculously talented offensive head coach, but I also think that that roster has more talent by a pretty decent margin than any other in the nfl and i don't think they're that much better i don't think they're actually the best team in the nfl i think sean payton you know is in the mix like i think the saints are the best team and um i'm expecting them to win but andy reed andy reed probably be the guy that that would would uh be my pick um and look i i I've been on, on both sides of the fence with Pete. Like I was ready for him to be gone, and um, I give him credit for. For I, I think this season has me proven that. Yeah, again, you do not need to go with convention. You do not need to go with the trend. Don't chase what everyone else is doing. Don't try to be the offensive juggernaut and pass the ball a million times a game. I don't think that's. I don't think you have to do that to win. I think there's multiple ways to win. And I think there's some benefits to the way he's going about this. I, I like the fact that the Seahawks are probably the only team that a lot of these teams face that they're going to have to prepare like crazy for the run game. Like, I think that's an advantage. And, and I think it's great that those defenses are having to deal with like – Massive people running into them and blocking and doing complicated Mike Solari, you know, run blocking schemes. I think all that's good um, relative to the rest of the league. Yeah. I think one of the most important things a head coach does is culture, just building the culture of a building and just seeing those clips of the locker room after the game. And I think Mike Sando, who's one of the more connected guys in the NFL, was talking. I think he tweeted a couple after the last game about how, like, the Seahawks locker room is. Like way better than it's ever been before. I don't know if you put much stock in that, but it just seems like the culture in the building where everyone's kind of going in the same direction, that's like the number one job of a head coach. And building a culture year after year that players can – I know it got stale with some of his veteran players, and that was on Pete. And that's why I said 2017 and 16 were probably Pete's worst coaching jobs in Seattle. But I think all the things I look for in a head coach, I think overall Pete's done a pretty good job, but maybe not as good as Andy Reid. Uh, Elliot I think, might be trolling us, but I'm going to ask it in a different way. He's asking, how do you see the Seahawks losing the 49ers next week? I think he might be getting at the point that I was saying it's a trap game. So 
if the Seahawks were to lose, what do you think would happen? How would that look? Uh, it would look, look a lot like that Washington game last year where like any scenario, like any, it would take an incredibly weird series of events that are so unpredictable. Kyle Shanahan is a really good offensive play caller. He knows how to attack this scheme. He played coach with Dan Quinn. So he knows kind of the weaknesses in the scheme. And without KJ Wright, there are some big holes in the zone defense. But with Nick Mullins and not much of, like unless Kittle goes crazy and dominates, I don't see who the guys are that kind of blow these guys up because the Niners just don't have a lot of playmakers. And it looks like they're kind of giving up. Like the talk around San Francisco is really dreary right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a little early for tail of the tape, but um, if I look at the 49ers, the way I see this is definitely, I mean, you've got Richard Sherman, who knows who knows the Seahawks offense pretty well, even with Schottenheimer. Um, definitely knows Russell Wilson's tendencies and his strengths and weaknesses. Remember what they used to do to Colin Kaepernick, where they would Basically, like they understood he was a one-read quarterback and they'd take away certain reads, and Kaepernick just looked like a different player against the Seahawks than he did against everybody else. I think there's a chance that he could work with with that defense um, to make life difficult and potentially create some turnovers um, against the Seahawks. And that could be – those could always be game changers. Um, and then I think the Seahawks' off defense is really bad. So could uh, – their running back, I never know how to pronounce his name, Brida, Brida, Brieda. Yeah. Uh, uh, pick your your favorite. But they're a decent running team, and the Seahawks' run defense has been atrocious. Um, so, yeah, there's plenty of opportunity. for You know, and Kyle Shanahan is still one of the best offensive minds around. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities at all for me. Um, and if I'm looking here really quickly – the Niners' defense, so they're 14th in run defense. That's not great, but um, Carolina was Carolina was 12th. So similar to Carolina. Yeah, Carolina was 12th. So we'll see. Um, I, I, I certainly hope the Seahawks um, come out and play great and uh, win by two touchdowns. But I think, like, it's an eight-and-a-half-point spread. I think that's a little bit optimistic. I'm not assuming it's going to be that easy. Um, all right, man. With that, yeah. let's uh, let's call it a wrap. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining. This has been a crazy season, and uh, it's definitely part of the why we all love the Seahawks and love sports. So. It's great having you around. It's always fun hanging out. And if you haven't already, sign up at uh, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawkblogger. Uh, join the other group. Um, all the donations go to uh, Benefit Ben's Fund. Helps uh, parents that can't afford uh, really expensive autism treatments. And uh, it'd be great to have you. Um, join a private Facebook group. Talk with the guys there. And uh, it's all good. So... Have a great night. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, thanks, everybody else. Go Hawks.